Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The been thinking about McDonald's all day can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Well, hello. Welcome along. The show is No Encore. I am your humble, gracious, and highly favoured host, Craig Fitzpatrick. I'm not exactly sure what that description means. I think I just nicked it from Joe Budden. I don't know. I'm not going to start start like using gunshot drops or something like that. I won't get too out of hand. If you're wondering where Dave is, well, thanks a bunch. Not enough for you. Um, he's having a well-deserved week off, so get off my back, get off his back, all right? Luckily, Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan is back in the saddle. Unluckily, he has no mic. Um, the only other mic I can see is in a Zoom window marked Zara Hederman. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Welcome back. How are you? It's good to be back. Great, yeah. After your glorious Paddy's Day show. I know. A prompt return. I know. It's a, it's a very quick turnaround. I thought I usually only get one show a year. Um, but uh, <laughs> You have this feeling that like your shows are rationed or something like that, which is not the case whatsoever. It's just years of Dave constantly like threatening me that I'm never allowed back on, which we all know is just because he hates. Yeah, that's me every week. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know how you feel, Craig. It's it's tough. It's tough to um, it's tough to be the secret fra- favorite. Um, but look, yeah. 
Yeah, a secret no longer, though. Yeah, um, <laughs> secret favourite, steam music journalist. Um, You can read Zara's work in The Quietus. You can read it in Totally Dublin, Loud and Quiet. You'll hear her on Arena. She's everywhere. And um, at Zara underscore Hedman, I believe, on Twitter. The very one. It's great yeah. to have you back. Oh, you did have a kind of bad omen this morning, right? Oh, There my was God. a situation, <laughs> a wasp situation. Yeah. What was going on? Actually- you, you stormed into our <laughs> Kylie and Jason teamed WhatsApp group, especially for you. Yeah. Which um, Adam had actually bailed on, unbeknownst to us, around January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the situation? <laughs> yeah, I actually, I still haven't told Tapley this. Um, so okay. he'll probably just find out on the episode, which is quite funny. Um, Shout out to David Tapley, friend of the show. Yeah, big friend of the show. Um, I was about <laughs> to, uh, I was about to leave for work today and I was putting my shoes on. And next of all, I just heard this very alarming buzz sound and I just thought knowing me that I knocked something over so I was slightly worried that I spilt water or something like that um then I went further and further towards the buzz yeah Craig it was literally the most traumatizing thing I've ever seen in my life I saw two spiders like yeah. as I described to you and Adam earlier like burritoing up a massive wasp like <laughs> massive use of burritoing is yeah. sensational <laughs> and then spit roasting the wasp um, so about an hour ago when I got home <laughs> I checked the uh, window ledge to see if it was still there or not and um, it's gone. gone yeah it's gone wow yeah Short work of that. Well, there was it was spiders. still buzzing, though, as as I pointed out. It was still buzzing. So surely, well, it wasn't was buzzing. Not... It was not buzzing. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it was... that is just grim on an existential level. We actually had an ant yeah. problem oh in the god. gaff last week, which was like it was substantial. They were coming in through like radiators <laughs> under floorboards. Oh god! Uh, we think there was like a nest under the porch. Um, so like for a few days I was getting by with that like horrific thing of just like stomping them and squishing them and then regretting it slightly because like yeah. you're wiping out a, a life, a small life, but a life. Um, yeah. And eventually we just had to go for the bomb. Oh. We had to go nuclear. We had to, uh. yeah, get this. I think it's called like <laughs> and stop, and stop exclamation mark bait station or something. Oh God. Sounds and like a cool nightclub like, in Leakslip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or like a dodgy sky channel. Yeah. Bait station. Um, but like, yeah, it's this thing of like, there's food in it, which they love. Okay. Um, but it's also obviously just completely laden with poison. Oh, uh, so it's this awful thing of like, <laughs> they're, you're tricking them into poisoning them and they're like, they, the worker ants are heading back to their queen with the very thing that will kill her. And it's kind of like, it's got to be embarrassing for that them, first brutal. of all. I was like genuinely like Googling are ants conscious? Like, how much do ants feel? I had a fucking moment where, I think it's lockdown getting to me. I was just, I was yeah. in quagmire, but they're you all were, gone now. They're just, oh, they haven't wow. been back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's quite quick. That's a quick turnaround for the old ant excursion. It was ruthless. You won't be watching ants yeah. then anytime soon, will you? That Pixar film. Ants the movie with a, with a Z. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I um, won't. I might, I might go back to a Bug's Life first. Oh, that's a great And then if film. I can handle Disney's A Bug's Life, then maybe the harsh realities of Pixar's ants. Yeah. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that'll be fine. Anyway, we need to move on with our lives because yeah. there's other fish to fry. Mm-hmm. Um, we've an episode heavy on the spoken word. Yeah. So we're reviewing Dry Cleaning, which is a um, much hyped album with the singular vocalising of Florence Shaw. So we're inspired by that. Uh, or more specifically, I saw an old Six Music tweet um, <laughs> that inspired me as well. 
So we're doing our top five like spoken word moments. Um, so this is basically like talking in songs. Um, it can be samples. It can be like full spoken word tracks, uh, melodramatic breakdowns, the lot. Uh, so that's coming up. Um, yeah, that's our album, our that. top five. Yeah, it's going to be great, I think. Um, there was a lot of examples out there and kind of very different it was we'll get to it we'll get to mm. it but it was tough to like gauge the impact of like maybe a small little clip over like a longer track and we'll discuss it um yeah. <laughs> i guess we'll get to the news first but before that if you do need your day fix he has been busy this week um he did a standalone interview with david balf uh for those i love which you should definitely check out it's great great interview uh very open very revealing um check that out now it's in your feed it's just one extra show on this channel i'm calling it a channel um you can't stop me you'll find even more um like our monthly no ox cord if you head for our patreon patreon.com forward slash no encore and yeah i guess throw us a small amount maybe once a month um the choice is yours but the time is now (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, Zara. <laughs> it's the best fiver I spend every month, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> now there's just no pubs open yet, for sure. Well, we appreciate that. We appreciate you in general. Oh, and now it's time for the news. Hey, you heard about the good news? <laughs> Love that sting. Um, <laughs> it's kind of frivolous, and we're going to start with... Um, a far more serious update and this is really just an update we don't really know what the situation is uh it's a story that's kind of still developing around dmx um and the latest we have is probably not the latest you have as you listen to this but um last i read doctors were performing um kind of tests around brain function on him on wednesday to see uh what state he he is in currently he remains on life support he's in a coma uh, in a new york hospital the news broke on saturday um that he'd been taken in um he'd had a heart attack as well he went for a significant amount of time without oxygen and of course dmx you know famed rapper a real iconoclast and just really beloved for certain generation probably ours specifically you know he broke around the turn of the century and just was like such a kind of huge um force in music he's had his struggles for sure um this is another one of them hopefully pulls true but yeah just um a sad story still developing one there's you know been prayer vigils for him um people have you know outpouring of well wishes as you can imagine but zara i don't i don't know if you've been following this one as well it's Mm. kind of a what more can we say situation isn't it at the moment yeah exactly it was such a shock on um i think it was like late friday night early saturday morning kind of deal um i found out about it initially because one of my friends um in one of my whatsapp groups he shared the initial news story when it broke um and I think he was like a pretty big DMX fan and was obviously very sad about the news um it would be just such a, a shame if um you know things don't go so well um for DMX in this situation obviously it's going to be very tough for him to make a full recovery but um I guess all we can say is wish the best to him his family his manager um yeah and I actually last night when we were going through when I was going through the news um I started to listen to DMX again just to like kind of remember what a legend like he is and how great his songs were um and yeah. I completely forgot about uh Party Up and also oh, man. and like I completely forgot that it was him because like I have this thing where I go around the house just going uh like you know y'all gonna make me lose my mind up in here up in here <laughs> so I say it like quite a lot and even just to myself like if something goes wrong in my life um 
And just like, just hearing it last night, it made me smile so much um, and just made me like feel really sad for him, for his family. And yeah, hopefully we get more news um, soon on his development. Yeah, that's a good shout though. It is like if you if you hear this news and want to cheer yourself up, the best thing to do is listen to DMX's yeah. music because it's just such energising, just yeah. incredible stuff. If any situation you kind of need a bit of a, an energy boost, a bit of a confidence boost, DMX is your man. Mm. And yeah, as we say, like outpouring of kind of well wishes and people talking about the influence of him. And I, like he's had luckily a lot of that in recent times. Like he seemed to be getting over the worst of his problems, got out of prison. And like just last summer, he was on that Versus show mm. with Snoop where it's kind of like started as a hip-hop thing where kind of MCs and um, DJs and producers would kind of battle off with their greatest hits and perform and you could just see kind of social media reacting and he seemed to be really really enjoying it he was in top form it was great just seeing yeah so many hits as well he was massive I think you forget that and he's had a tough time like he talked as well he was talking to Talib Kweli uh, about his early kind of drug abuse and it started at something like 14 Mm. his then mentor he was talking about gave him like a blunt lace with crack without him knowing and he's like I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy so he didn't get off to the best of starts like the odds have been stacked against him plenty of times before hopefully you know he comes good this time as well Um, so yeah I guess we'll just kind of keep an eye on that story another kind of like it's not the most upbeat start to the news another kind of like hell of the music industry Mm -hmm. and life in general Um, and I'm spelling that general with a J because we're getting Jepic Jedwards have been shockingly all over social media (laughs) Which what I want to do of like, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. They've really kind of um, had a bit of a renaissance for sure. Um, just taking on great causes, recently shaved their heads, looking very well in it um, mm. for cancer charities. Um, but they've they've come for cancer and now they've come for Simon Cowell. Oh, Jesus um, Craig. <laughs> not comparing the two whatsoever. I'm just saying two separate things in a it sentence. It just sounds <laughs> like a kind of summer blockbuster hit. Like... <laughs> This summer, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Adam's hat face is in his hands right now. <laughs> in his disco, uh, oh, Tesco dear. mimicking t-shirts, yeah, yeah. He's Downcast. He's He's this would never happen with Dave. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they were really um, spilling the tea. I think that's what you say. Yeah. Um, and opening up about music industry, specifically the whole X Factor reality show thing, the big machine that like Simon Cowell heads up. And, you know, it kind of started um, as them saying the biggest regret in life was not telling the judges on X Factor to fuck off. Mm. There, there was numerous tweets about stuff we kind of already know um, about contestants being akin to kind of slaves to the show. You're not getting paid. They're obviously making millions. There's a lot of tweets in that regard, like, you know, how ridiculous it is that you get assigned a mentor when they don't really care about you whatsoever. Mm. Simon Cowell compared to a mafia leader, a bit toned down on what yeah. we were going for earlier. Um, <laughs> one of the tweets was when in reality he's um, nothing but a bad facelift. Um, quite harsh. <laughs> they also specifically went into... Um, Talking about the situation for One Direction and Little Mix, two huge acts that have come from those shows, and kind of saying that they have seen their contracts, they know that maybe they're not getting the best possible deals, they've gone into, I guess, compromising, um, uh, like, the the kind of tweets that I'm I'm guessing lawyers were then pouring over, which they acknowledged themselves, and they're like, hi, we're here for it, we're we're not putting up anymore, and just got kind of darker and darker talking about... You know, stories they hear in LA, artists, you know, being on tour and minders being, you know, 
assigned to them that is basically just keeping them on the straight and narrow and essentially working and just kind of the awful stuff they go through but um yeah they pretty much wrapped with you know justice going to be served you can't silence the truth um nobody can drag me down which i was I like know. i know i was thinking are they speaking to me. Yeah, I was like, is because we always think of them as just Jedward, right? Which isn't yeah. really fair because they are John and Edward. I think you can make an <laughs> argument that that is the case. So I, I'm kind of thinking, like, did Edward slash John just like get on the account and just yeah. go on this tear and like because they're finishing with you know nobody can drag me down and then like John is like, uh, mate, what, what have we just done? <laughs> Take the login details off. I'm like just like oh god, delete, delete. Um, yeah. What did I, you make of it? Yeah, I found this story. Um, I think initially when I saw it in the running order, um, I not that I kind of found it. Uh, I found a funny an issue. I thought it was going to be a far lighter story when I saw them saying that Simon Kell is nothing but a bad facelift. I kind of just initially thought from that glance, thought that this was going to be just kind of like your classic like fuck Simon Kell like rant which I mean obviously we don't have to have had any kind of interaction with Simon Kell personally to know that he's probably a cretin um but sure. then actually as I read on and read through the the tweets and there's so many of them like there must be at least 30 or so tweets in this um yeah. the further you go down on it um the kind of darker it gets like they they make some really salient points i think about art as well being particularly about you know how um artists are on the brink of collapse at the end of touring and having Mm. to act like everything is okay humans can't be owned artists shouldn't be owned and then following that they say eating disorders and depression are very common in the music industry and it's because nobody cares about the artist's mental health only the money and you know, I have to commend them for speaking out so forth, forthright about those issues. I think that artists' mental health and well-being is actually only something that's really been taken into consideration by fans, especially in the last kind of maybe five or so years since this like dialogue has kind of opened up a lot more. And you have, yeah. you know, you have people like Jedward who are within that whirlwind that is the music industry and, you know, with their strand as well as the showbiz kind of side of it. Um, so, yeah, I think it's great that they are raising awareness to it. I mean, I don't know. I don't really know what kind of consequences are going to land on Simon Cowell. I feel that he's probably a fairly protected figure. I mean, there was a point also in that news story where X Factor was on hold, hold anyway because of the pandemic. They had those like, yeah. they had the side shows where it had people from Love Island who were in a band. and But <laughs> like, it, like this news story as well kind of reminded me of X Factor because it's not really something that I have thought about or even really given much time to, you know, considering other than when I do news stories for the show here. That's when I think about X Factor again because it usually involves the <laughs> previous so X- contestants. X Factor heavy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Need to start looking at that running order. Uh, I was I was slightly torn on like them specifically calling out say One Direction and mm. Little Mix and going you know because by doing that they know themselves that they're instantly getting like the standum um, involved and kind of concerned and I did see some tweets from fans being like I hope there's no repercussions for people within those acts. So th- th- they do like they're smart enough guys they know kind of how to play the game i wonder 
you know, probably no repercussions for Simon Cowell. I wonder what this means or how the acts in question themselves feel. I've no doubt that they've been, um, you know, as everyone in the music industry is somewhat taken advantage of. Mm. It's just the way the machine works. I wonder how they felt seeing this kind of outpouring and it kind of taking off a little bit. Yeah, I do remember um, at the time of when Zayn released Icarus. And I think that was when he was kind of doing a lot of press and speaking out about how like when he left One Direction, he really wanted to step away from music entirely because it had had such a kind of maybe like damning effect is too strong a phrase to put on it. But he did mention how he did kind of have a bit of a, like not even, okay, PTSD is also too strong. But he did kind of say that he really um, struggled with his mental health and Mm. his kind of sense of self-worth, I guess, especially being in that group dynamic and especially when it's a boy band like that. Um, But one thing actually that really stood out to me in this to be kind of, nitpicking at Jedward is um, the bit when they talk about how the judges need to stop bigging up people and giving them false hope they need to say it how it is I remember watching that season of X Factor and from my memory I remember that they had during their audition they were obviously terrible but the judges were all like no it's a no for me it's a no for me and they pretty much I think held the judges hostage and they were like we're not leaving the room until you give us a yes <laughs> Like that's, I mean, that sounds familiar. That was my recollection. I was like, what well, they weren't big enough people like all the time because they clearly said no. Or was it kind guys. of like a popular vote? Like people, like the audience was just keeping them in kind of situation. But was it that, was yeah. before that, even like during the audition. Oh, was it? Yeah. Right, um, right, right. So that that just didn't sit easily with me. But look, I'll give them a pass for that. Yeah, I mean, they did previously. They were up in arms about um, Simon Cowell for deleting their legacy, um, which was. <laughs> their big words and what happened was their debut single was removed from streaming services if you forget the debut single it was um that mashup of under pressure and ice ice baby um so it's like i don't know maybe doing them a favor on that one like i suppose it is their legacy and you know it's what they're responsible for i guess but yeah it's a tough it's it's a tough call but i totally agree with the sentiment and you know it chimes with some other stuff that's happening in the industry uh rebecca ferguson who also came from x factor she's going through more kind of official channels at the moment as well she's calling for um parliamentary action in the uk to overhaul the industry and bullying that she says allegedly takes place and saying listen trying to kind of reconfigure how streaming and payments work is great but we're not going far enough to talk about kind of artist wealth welfare and specifically um she wants to get kind of offcom involved to launch investigations into these type of reality shows that might be taking uh people uh, advantage Mm-hmm. yeah no i'm glad to see that she's doing that that's good so yeah watch your space i suppose um we'll see how that goes possibly in the not too distant future we won't need artists at all and simon <laughs> cowell will be pleased <laughs> is ai coming to save the day this is a bit of a weird one right so an ai software has written new songs by nirvana amy winehouse um jimmy hendrix and stuff it seems like it might just be this kind of algorithm company trying to drum up a bit of PR but it's actually to raise awareness for the importance of mental health support mm-hmm. um, so it's this Toronto organization over the bridge it's a compilation featuring songs created uh, via AI in the style of musicians who died at the age of 27 so part of that kind of much talked about 27 club and basically saying that that is way too romanticized they needed help and wouldn't it be great if they're still around creating 
as we can do kind of, you know, a, a pass at an attempt at by using these kind of algorithms. We've got a little clip um, of the Nirvana one. It's called Drowned in the Sun. So far, so Nirvana, maybe stained. I don't know. Let's have a listen. <laughs> Yeah, what do we think? Um, like, there's definitely parts there where I'm like, that's a clear lift from, like, all apologies. Or I don't know yeah. if this is as sophisticated and scary as I thought it might be. It's pretty it, dire. It, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty dire. And, yeah, reading it, oh, reading this news story, again, these news stories are just so, um, so upsetting. Um, <laughs> this one kind of continued to... De- damper my mood a lot because while on one hand I really appreciate that there is an an organization that are trying to raise awareness and um, get rid of the stigma of depression and mental health um, issues within the music industry I 100% support that and appreciate it but I find it just kind of unnerving in the manner that they're doing it especially when you know they're using an algorithm an algorithm so essentially software and a computer and in like an inhuman thing to then generate out of like what the cloud like um a song that they think some artist would come out like write and come out with it just kind of feels a bit like another strand of manipulating an artist um, yeah, and trying weird, to mold it's a them. weird alignment isn't yeah. it <laughs> Um, um, yeah, it's like raising awareness for the suffering of artists by kind of using a tool that probably ultimately will get a lot better and start replacing, the, you know, the you know, a lot of the content that people yeah. like. Inevitably, you know, a few it might be a few decades from now down the line, there will be a lot of AI content that is indistinguishable from new music, mm. and that will invariably kind of push people out slightly. So. Yeah, kind of bad vibes around this story. I mean, yeah. I guess it worked in that we mentioned the name of the charity and we're kind of talking about it. Yeah. And whereas, you know, if they did a fundraiser, it wouldn't. But um, I just love as well, like the quote from um, from the guy, Eric Hogan, uh, who is, I, I think, is he the guy who's behind the creation of the software? Um, sure, let's go with that. Yeah, let's say know. that. Um, but he's like talking about like the song and he goes... The song is saying, I'm a weirdo, but I like it. He says, that is total Kirk Cobain right there. The sentiment is exactly what he would have said. The sun shines on you, but I don't know how. That's great. I don't think that Kirk Cobain would be that optimistic at the end to be like, the sun shines on you, but I don't know how. I think he would be more inclined to not wish that on someone. (laughs) Kirk Bay is pretty terrifying from my I remember being like four years old and just being absolutely terrified of him so but now terrified of Kirk Cobain yeah terrified seemed like a sweet man no he just had nice cardigans he did have lovely comfy cardigans photos of him with kittens you know yeah no my brother big glasses my brother had a massive poster of him in his bedroom and it was a really scary up close one and he used to like 
pretty much lock me in his bedroom when I was by myself just with this picture of Kurt Cobain staring back at me so it really put me off oh my god yeah, um, yeah I mean tremendous musician yeah. Nirvana inspired so much dross though and this is kind of just adding to it isn't it really yeah. like if you said this was the new single from Stained I'd be like yeah, yeah probably absolutely but um yeah, a kind of weird one. Okay, let's get more upbeat. Let's talk about real humans, real musicians taking real drugs with each other. <laughs> Alice Cooper. Everyone loves Alice Cooper. He's been talking. <laughs> Sorry, I was just taking a drink there. Um, not drugs. But no. yeah, he's been talking. He's been talking a lot lately. lately. I guess he's got an album out or something. Like last month, he was saying he wanted to be in the Foo Fighters. So I don't know what's good. going on with Alice Cooper. Um, but he's talked about his first experience using drugs and he was with Jimi Hendrix he wasn't just like hanging out backstage as a fellow musician however he says weed was the first drug and was with Hendrix I'm sitting there after the show I went to see them uh, so at the time he was just in like a small high school band but they said hey come on up to the hotel room so he's like a high schooler and he just goes to the show and Jimi Hendrix and the rest of the experience are like hey are you experienced <laughs> And suddenly they're like sitting on his bed and luckily it doesn't go badly from there. Jimmy just goes, here man, passes a joint and he went, okay. And then my, like, this is such a fantastic detail. He goes and puts a quarter in the bed. I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, you know, like a vibrating bed. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. Like the 60s in some dodgy hotel where you put quarters in beds to make them shake. Like, yeah. He goes, there was like eight people sitting on the bed and he goes, we're on a spaceship. And I went, okay. <laughs> Has that cheered you up at all, Sarah? Oh, I loved this story so much, especially like his kind of final recall, like retelling of that where he was like, it was weird. It was like a Federico Fellini thing. It was so strange that I really did believe that everybody was dead and I was the only one that survived it. Oh, well, like, this is like, yeah, his worst drug experience then yeah. in Detroit on Crystal THC. <laughs> So where he, he wakes up and there's just like I guess bodies everywhere and we're just going back downhill yeah. but um yeah he incredible. was in um wasn't Alice Cooper a member of the Hollywood Vampires drinking club yeah yeah he yeah. was wasn't he which was like Hollywood Vampires Harry Johnny Nelson. Depp no oh, sorry the, okay uh, the, no, original, the original like, iteration I, yeah okay was he not like the frontman for that weird hollywood vampires johnny depp slash there is a band called the hollywood vampires and i think okay, they took okay. the name from the group that makes sense and um, it sounds like a cooler group the original group so it was harry nielsen, harry nielsen just other people John on a lost Lennon, weekend right, right. Uh, alice cooper and i think maybe i think maybe ringo perhaps went on a few of them <laughs> like well like you're if, just throwing that in you don't know i that. think he was <laughs> it, it feels like ringo would have vied with that oh we're getting oh. the members here from adam I'm trying to read okay oh keith moon ringo, ringo Starr, I, you're correct. I apologize <laughs> mickey dolan's as well oh. <laughs> what a crew but yeah they used to go out for like four nights at a time just like drinking sound oh great crack. yeah um, um the madness continues however in the music industry um yeah. Ja Rule, he's, he's made an announcement. Um, he's still harping on the Fire Festival thing. This is, I'm sad to say, uh, NFT Corner, the oh. continuation. <laughs> he's selling, I have, to, I have to include this one. I know, you're he's obsessed. Selling, you're obsessed, Craig. <laughs> he's selling the cheese sandwich tweet about the Fire Festival. 
It wasn't even his tweet, but he's collaborating with the guy who, who sent the tweet, so it's all grand. Um, to bring people up to speed, Fire Festival 2017 event, um, Jar Rule teamed up with Billy <laughs> McFarland to create the world's greatest festival in the Bahamas. Tickets were like everything, everywhere between like four grand to like 12 grand, and it didn't happen. The whole thing was a total wash, and the whole thing was a total scam. Mm-hmm. And kind of symbolic of this was Trevor de Haas, uh, his, his image of a meager snack that they got. Um, which was him just saying like you know this is the dinner that Fire Festival promised us uh, was catered by Steven Starr it's literally bread cheese and salad with dressing and it was just this like styrofoam container so you'd get at any dodgy like down the country Irish festival yeah and yeah so when I selling it when I read <laughs> on, yeah. this story initially uh, I was kind of I was really tired uh, going through it and I got past the first sentence and I completely skipped the word tweet so I read Ja Rule has announced that he is selling the infamous cheese sandwich from the ill-fated fire festival and I wrote like I was so perturbed I like immediately shot up sat up in my in my bed and I just wrote beside it what the fuck does that look like now um oh my god so I, was pretty- I think I would prefer that than like something totally non-fungible yeah um it's yeah it's described as a meme a cultural touchstone a cheese sandwich um there's a whole kind of statement about the sale uh from an inauspicious dinner photographer trevor de haas captured the most iconic image from 2017's most famous debacle the fire festival two limp white slices <laughs> on the wheat bread lay like, like the, the lifeless, lifeless body of body icarus, of icarus. <laughs> bemoaning the hubris of man Oh, a moment. I want to buy the NFT of this press release. Oh, same. Um, a moment a for that description. Image, yeah, a timeless image of inestimable cult- cultural import sold now as a singular NFT. Um, the current estimated price is 80 grand. All proceeds are going towards me- uh, medical expenses uh, for DeHass's uh, daily dialysis and kidney transplant. So the guy's in a bad way. He needs to raise funds. It's fair enough. It seems like Jarrell's maybe doing a good thing here, possibly. But he ha- yeah, sorry, Gwanzar. But um, he has already... <laughs> Am I giving him too much credit? Yeah. <laughs> He's already um, acquired $122,000 from some... From pre, he previously sold his Fire Festival logo oil painting in NFT form for that amount. So could he not just use that money and give it to Dahas? Like, Jarul moves in mysterious ways. Okay, yeah. he's a true artist, and <laughs> we shouldn't question him. Seems like a lot of Dahassel um, da for some NFT. Hey, hey fantastic! It's a pity we still don't do like episode titles because that would be a shooting. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was looking at that that oil painting that he sold, right? And um, he said like the reason he sold it wasn't the money; he just wanted that energy out. I think there was like bad energy energy to it or something. But he sold it as an NFT, so surely it's like the digital form. He still has the painting, and surely the bad energy remains. No. Yeah, I'm still. It's, too, it's all getting too metaphysical for me. I'm I don't know. Still trying to wrap my head around NFT. Um. It's taken me a while to uh, fully understand it. Um, it took me a while to understand Bitcoin and I finally got there. So I'm predicting that I'll know the source on NFT by episode 300 of Now Encore, perhaps. Okay, we might have to get you back on. Oh, we'll God. do an NFT special yeah. and Dave will announce that he is quitting the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. If you've got bad energy you need to get out of your life, we might just have the podcast for you. 
It's called The Happy Broadcast. Um, first episode is out now. Take a listen to this. Tired of tuning into negative news? Well, get your week off to the right start with The Happy Broadcast. Let's help you focus on the positive things happening in our world. Each episode will feature positive news, some mental health tips, and we'll hear from our Happy Broadcast community about what makes them happy. The podcast is hosted by me, Amy O'Dwyer, in collaboration with Mauro Gatti and his popular social channel, The Happy Broadcast. Episodes are out every Monday and you can listen and subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts. Let's help spread some positivity. Okay, and you heard a lovely trailer for a lovely podcast there and I listened to maybe a dozen (laughs) clips of Drowned in the Sun (laughs) again. A song that will never leave my psyche now. Uh, We had some technical difficulties that require testing, um, which Adam dutifully carried out as I lost my mind. (laughs) Let's see, can we um, wash it all away with some actually, you know, quite good music we'll find out if it's good it's album time we turn our attention to the debut album from london four piece dry cleaning um no glas vegas for us they were initially penciled in but we didn't go for it so we'll have to wait for round two of zara versus james allen thank god thank god you saved me from that uh, celebrity death match there yeah one of my picks for um landfill indie songs that were actually good but um no, we're not going to do that album. Instead, we're going to turn to a very of-the-moment proposition. Even if the music did kind of remind me of my landfill heyday, i.e. my college years <laughs> at times. It's getting, like, fevered notices, uh, critical acclaim. The only opinion I want to hear is that of Zara Hederman's. But oh. before that, let's hear a little sample of it. You keep it. We can't, can't open the door. Can't food cancel. It'll be okay, I just need to be weird and hide for a bit and eat an old sandwich from my bag. I've come here to make a ceramic shoe and I've come to smash what you made. I've come to learn how to mingle, I've come to learn how to dance. And yeah, that's Scratch Hard Lanyard taken from New Long Leg. And Zara, before I turn to you, um, I guess bring new listeners up to speed a little bit. Um, so who are these people to quote Jerry Seinfeld? Well, they're a post-punk proposition from South London, only together about three years. Um, they were kind of players themselves. They were together a little longer. Um, all kind of old friends. I think 30-somethings mm. that were just in kind of like hardcore punk bands that never really uh, broke through over uh, the course of their 20s. They brought Florence Shaw on board in 2017 and she was just kind of getting on with her life as a uni lecturer, uh, photo researcher. Um, And over a point with um, the guitarist Tom Douse, he played some kind of demos on his phone of them um, just working together. She liked it. He thought her like kind of spoken word musings over the top would be perfect. And uh, yeah, there's a weird serendipity. It kind of works. It's been going well for them. And happily, she'd like a stack of collected phrases, like lists of ad copy, social media comments. Um, So kind of delving beyond her own notebooks to go kind of below the lines uh, online. And I think she was going to use it for like in a visual medium, but instead she has this kind of cut and paste style uh, around the her own narrative she brings to these songs so it's made for some kind of jagged witty works already there's been two EPs this is them paired with producer John Parrish at their 4AD debut and Zara we turn to you how have you got on with New Long Leg over uh, the course of the week 
Yeah, I absolutely loved this album. Um, ah. When you initially kind of said that we were, it was Las Vegas and then kind of proposed dry cleaning, immediately I wanted to do the dry cleaning one because it was one that, um, it was an album and a band that I had just seen so much um, hype and press about in the kind of um, leading up, say like month of the release of the album. And usually in a lot of times, that kind of hype really puts me off listening to an album um even if it is getting like re- like critically acclaimed and whatnot and favorable reviews from people that I really admire um I and I do think that sometimes the hype can compromise the actual integrity of what is then presented to you um and it can also sure. just be quite hyperbolic and what you get is shit um but I thought <laughs> I thought that with this it's such an amazing, uh, spontaneous album. Um, Florence Shaw's uh, cadence there, I mean, from that snippet that we just heard, I think even though it can be quite monotone and when you just get that initial introduction to it, uh, you could be kind of worried that, you know, this is just a very one note album that like a lot of her uh, descriptions and her lyrics get lost because of that um, monotony or whatever. But what I was so impressed with throughout this album is just how she tempers her cadence and uses it to add in hooks and melody really subtly without you kind of realising that she's done that until like maybe like the second or third listen. Um there was times where she reminded me of say like Nico I know a lot of places have been kind of comparing her to maybe like John Cooper Clark or Patti Smith mm. um and kind of going back to what you were saying about her visual medium with the kind of the poetry that she had I think that this is such a vivid album like she's so descriptive her her uh, lyrics are so specific from you know like the uh, porcelain shoe and going to the knitting circle or um, <laughs> like talking about sausages and all this kind of stuff so she's so one of the great things that I, I liked about her lyricism is just how colloquial her language is because I think that that just the familiarity makes it so easy to become stuck in your head which I loved um, just the musicianship on this album as well I think is fantastic um i love how it's really indebted to the 80s to the kind of post to like you know say a joy division wire magazine and whatnot but it still retains quite a lot of freshness um and actually it really reminded me of um shame the band who brought out their second album in january um, and there was weird moments, actually, Craig, that I was kind of excited to ask you about. There was times where I really got a bang of the strokes off them. Like, even okay. just the intro of the album, uh, what is it, Scratch Card Lanyard, like that drum machine. That kind of bass the bass line. Yeah, and the, yeah, yeah, and yes, then, like a linear. Yeah, yeah, and then later on, there's some, like, early kind of strokes, chords and riffs. And I was like, oh, that's, like, kind of nice and unexpected as well. So um, did it work for yeah. you? What were you thinking when you were listening to this? It's funny because definitely, like, they feel like a band that have a lot of my own touchstones. So, yeah, like, we did one and done albums recently. And one of my, like, prime picks was uh, a 2001 record, which is Life Without Bill buildings uh any other city uh which were a glaswegian kind of indie outfit um but also doing that kind of quite um 
singular kind of sung spoken uh, spoken word thing. I was like enamored with that in my like late teens, like tail end of the noughties, um, when it was already kind of like a lost classic or like people on, you know, hipster blogs or like Drowned in Sound forums would be like, this is a sacred text and it's great. Yeah. I was kind of wondering if that was the case for Florence Shaw. And yeah, wondering if the guys listened to all the stuff I did, which would include, of course, the strokes. Um, so yeah, comparing it to Life Without Buildings, uh, it certainly feels like, if not like a kind of long way to come back from them, they're broken up, but kind of like the 2020s reboot, which was interesting. Like even moving through tracks like Strong Feelings, uh, it, it was all just like the week was soaked in like <laughs> college afternoons, skipping lectures and like Adam yeah. and Joe podcasts <laughs> and or actually probably radio shows. Was it a podcast? It was probably like the first podcast yeah. Um, or like watching Peep Show. Like it feels like it could be soundtracking the internal monologues yeah. on Peep Show at times. And kind of very early millennial or even like Gen Gen X humour. Like I was right there agreeing with her kind of wry takes on like the Antiques Roadshow. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of self-effacing and it's sarcastic and it's kind of like slightly obfuscated as well. Like it didn't feel like that um, Gen Z thing where it's all about frank honesty and confessionals and it's all out front like a Arlo Parks or Phoebe Bridgers. There's this kind of weaponized sneer here that I certainly found comforting, which yeah. is great. But it's, yeah, it's totally like an up-to-date context for sure, because, you know, like, I think their debut single was um, The Magic of Meghan, so Meghan Markle doesn't get more up-to-date than that. Mm. And, uh, like, the social media collage thing has been done before, mm. but I don't think really with the kind of verve and the commitment you see here, and she just does it so, she's such a dab handed at it, it works so well, and it's right, I guess, that we talk about voice and lyrics first, Um like I, I bought into her empathy through the various kind of narratives and yeah. storytellers she uses. Like that, that track we just heard, it's kind of like a young mother getting out of the house and like dipping into some like excruciating like adult socializing activities or something like that. Yeah. Felt like this new fold of, of rock music where it's just kind of compendiums of like unsent tweets or something. Yeah, it, um, it's just so very everyday, which is, I think... Yeah. I think that's what I really loved about it is that like it really brought me I was immediately in her world like from the get-go and like what I loved as well is that like it's kind of like what you were saying with the Gen Z kind of uh vernacular it's like it's it's kind of pre-midlife crisis but like (laughs) but like there's so much malaise to it but she her humor is so acerbic it's so funny um but even just like with the characters as well there's like I think one that's um just broken up with someone and they're possibly like moving out of their house and it's just like oh well what mm. are you gonna do with all the stuff in your cupboards like are you gonna take your mayonnaise and what about the grill you have to clean that and I recently just moved out of somewhere and I just like completely ha- like understood and related to those like thoughts of like that final press in the kitchen that was just waiting to be cleared <laughs> out and I was like oh god I relate so hard to this person in this song amazing um but yeah the Antiques Roadshow lyric is so funny and then there's also in Strong Feelings which at times and just the pacing of her delivery, she reminded me so much of Jarvis Cocker, just in like her meter and also yes, the way hugely. she tackled the subject matter as well. Um, but there's like a lyric in that song where it's like, I spent 17 pounds on mushrooms for you because I'm silly. And it's just like, it's like so true. You can also just imagine the really bougie like <laughs> food place that's probably called... Yeah vegetable and bean like with that she bought those mushrooms from so 
Yeah, it, there was just something so horrible about this album, but that was Yeah, and I Sorry, that, I on. think that's why it kind of works. To mm. finish your thought there, but I was going to say like I was I was worried um would it great over the course of an album and I guess if people haven't listened to it they might think okay I like that song but it's this spoken word thing and it could veer into the kooky or um get a bit too knowing mm. but actually I think somehow as an album it works even better for me I don't know how they're going to do a second record I guess that's not their problem at the moment yeah. but there's a real purpose to it as a whole yeah I really really loved it and the more I listened to it like I got really excited to go back to it um, which generally by say like eighth ninth list and I'm kind of about to give up um but no with this I loved it um I just I loved her vo- vocals I loved how she um implemented certain uh articulations as well I just thought the way she used her voice was so unexpectedly varied just because of the specific tone that she had and the breadth of the arrangements, they're really subtle. Um, and the more you listen to it, the more you realise how big they are in their kind of contained nature too, which I just thought was really impressive. So yeah, I'm definitely very, very excited for more from them. Yeah, uh, I think John Parrish on production um, can take some credit as well because mm. like he's, you know, he's worked with PJ Harvey at uh, likes of Let England Shake. Mm. The band say they just instantly hit it off with him and he got them like he's, you know, the produ- producer just gets them. Yeah. But it feels like he just kind of molded them quite well. He didn't like, you know, brush them up too much or change what they were doing. He just kind of got what this band was about. Mm. And as for the band like itself, like the musicians, I mean, they're not like probably generational talents or something. They're not immediately amazing, but uh, they can't be written off as kind of like, you know, competent indie bods. Like mm. I think the rhythm section do bring kind of variety. They're quite kind of spry considering it's a throwback sound yeah. uh i did think tom douse was pretty effective on guitar like yeah. um there's some vague reference points like at times i was thinking of like he reminded me how much johnny marr loves the stooges like it just felt like that kind of lineage was there um the art your end kind of there's flashes of like sonic youth school um and i think that the guitar times brings like a lot of emotion that maybe isn't there in her like you know journey down deadpan alley um mm. but it kind of works quite well and considering like there's a lot of reference points to the sound it didn't feel like they were recycling kind of riffs that we've heard over decades do you know what i mean there Mm. wasn't moments where i was like well that's that song and Mm. that's that song which was refreshing for sure yeah another thing that kind of struck me today when i was listening to it was um it reminded me of how excited i would get when i was 15 and like devout to enemy and q magazine and it just like it made me think of say the bands who who formed in say 2017 2018 and who are now coming out with either a debut album or a, a second album say in the case of shame so like be it like dry cleaning um or even like black country new road who i don't really have a, a huge amount of time for at the moment um i'm still trying to yeah. delve into them or like squid or go girl or whatever um dry cleaning just really reminded me how they're a part of a wave of bands and I know they're all uh, British bands that I've mentioned at the moment but it was kind of similar with the growing up with Enemy Q magazine where that was kind of where you were getting your bands from from the UK um, and it also just made me think of how like they are maybe like the um, say the, the cribs of BBC Six music now, if that makes any oh, sense. Oh, nice. Yeah, um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So in that way, it got me excited about that kind of 
driving culture of music and bands that are in a kind of loose community together so yeah anything that gets me less uh, snarky about new music because for the most part it can be quite frustrating but yeah I liked it if you had to put a score on this what would you what would you give it I think I'd give it an 8 out of 10 yeah yeah it sounds about right I think like it steers kind of admirably clear of like mm. kitsch and the twee which it could do mm. um, it's accessible I think it's quite an easy recommend and yeah you mentioned Black Country New Roads like they can get a bit like attention grabbing yeah. and in their like esoteric way but this yeah. feels like they're just kind of sidling up to you in a bookshop or something and starting a conversation yeah and yeah your point earlier was really good about how they captured the everyday um like you know rock used to be high drama and like escapism and grand gestures that you would then bring into your kind of small daily battles mm. and here it's more like a kind of crowdsourced like mm, yeah. retelling of like just the modern minutia of our like daily lives you can kind of find some freedom and relief in that and what i'm saying it's it's like a socialist text Indeed. and <laughs> if the revolution comes i'm gonna have to give it an eight out of ten so i avoid the guillotine <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, <laughs> so that's dry cleanings new long leg uh strong recommend from both of us so check it out and we will move on to our top five which is um of course inspired by dry cleaning we're going spoken word um it's talking in songs and zara when you got the brief uh, we discussed it on whatsapp what were you thinking where did you go with it were you excited for it were you utterly confused and wondering why is craig contacting me on monday to make me do a show (laughs) well my phone had one percent battery as well um so i didn't have too much time to to uh to ask you too many questions about it um i almost exploded with excitement when you said let's do spoken word um because without really realizing it until i thought about this top five there are so many songs um, that are within my kind of uh, canon of top top songs of all time that have spoken word in it. So I had, okay. I'd say at least four of these that came immediately to me. Um, so yeah, no, absolutely so much fun to do. Very tricky to, to whittle it down, I have to say. How did you feel about this one, Craig? Were you excited? Yeah, I thought like there was a few easy selections, mm. but then the more I thought about it, the more difficult it got. I woke up this morning with a particular song in my head, which I, I nearly like shouted out loud. I was like, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot to put this in the lip. I didn't have time to do a clip and like Adam had the clip. So it's just gone. It's like lost like tears oh, no. and rain. Um, Here is one track as an example of what we're talking about. It's from our Songs of the Year, which Sarah joined us for. And yeah, it's a track from last year. Let's have a have a listen to Annie doing a spoken word bit. really dug that last year that's kind of very throwbacky like it reminded me of some of the 50s and 60s attempts at it where mm. it's like just kind of ratchet up the melodrama and like get cinematic with it yeah um okay adam has instructed me to go first otherwise i would be like zara full steam ahead but <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll go for my number five and this is answering the question of how you follow up one of the most revered albums of the century Hello, ma'am. Can I be 
have any assistance? Seems to me that you have lost something. I would like to help you find it. She replied, oh yes, you have lost something. You've lost your life. Is it Stated views on police brutality with that line in the song, quote, and we hate the popo, want to kill us in the street, fo show. Ah, oh, please. Ugh, I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> Craig, yeah, you've Kendrick only Lamar. gone and done it. <laughs> Sarah, you like that one? Yeah, it's a good start, isn't it? It's, um, <laughs> it kind of came to me slightly late because it is a recent dish as well. So I was like, it was, it just. I, I caught it at the right time. I didn't wake up screaming, luckily, uh, on this track. It's Kendrick Lamar, it's Blood, taken from Dam. And this is a bit of a twofer because you have uh, that initial kind of Kendrick delivery of this monologue. It's kind of like a parable, a fable almost, uh, where he's like parking the rap for some spoken word, um, like backed by some Morricone style kind of weepy Western strings and stuff. But then also you have the use of an audio clip, um, infamously, which is Fox News. I think it's one of the greatest like fuck yous in music of late. Like it's a political statement just by like just by playing it. Like he goes all in then on DNA, but just having that mirror up to them without comment is powerful enough. It's kind of unexpectedly hilarious, um, punctures the kind of tension uh, just with their sheer kind of buffoonery. Um, I don't like it has really entered my lexicon. I say that quite a bit, which is the hallmark of a great drop. And it's, of course, Fox News um, criticising Kendrick's um, performance of All Right, <laughs> a very positive song at the BET Awards. And um, yeah, you've got the likes of uh, Geraldo also just after that being like, listen, this is why I say hip hop has done more damage to young African-Americans than racism in recent years. Eric Bowling, you're here there. Kimberly Guilfoyle, what the hell? But um, what an intro, are yeah? <laughs> Oh, Craig, I, as soon as you press play on that, I, like, my whole top five, it's just so insignificant now. Oh, don't say Um, that. (laughs) Keep listening. (laughs) No, that is the strongest, that's the strongest five I've ever heard in my life. Um, I, um, have went back and I was listening to Dam, uh, I think it was about two months ago. I got really, really into it again. And it was, there was a time where I couldn't leave the house when I was on my way to work and not just stick it on. Um, it's such a propulsive and driving album from start to finish. Mm. And then I set myself a little project of listening to Dam and then going to that podcast, uh, Dissect, is it? Yeah, yeah. Where the guy... Yeah, where he dissects, dissects, uh, where he dissects um, the meanings of uh, an album track by track and almost kind of line by line. And I only got about three or four episodes into his uh, look into Dam, and I just found it so fascinating the level of detail that he went into. But and even as you were saying there, like the Marconi esque like strings and to make it sound like a western, like when I heard that. Um, kind of analogy initially I it was something that I completely just glossed over and then it just made the whole uh the whole song all the more impactful and just uh 
just amazing and the kind of roguish nature that Lamar took in like yeah. basically telling Fox News to f- go fuck <laughs> themselves like um yeah no that is absolutely incredible I'm af- I'm actually really annoyed at myself now I'm so annoyed I'm setting myself up for fail with the rest of the list I think uh let's get into <laughs> yours so what is your number five there okay okay so my number five is one of my favorite voices in music of all time oh. um and it just so happens that he released an an album that was 50 percent spoken word in 1963 so hit it adam <laughs> Time Zikafoos was 20, he had a face on him that looked like somebody'd run four wagons together. I guess Winfield Bloodsaw, he's the fella that runs the feed store in trouble, said it about as good as anybody when he said that if we had one of those Mr. America contests in trouble and Emory Zikafoos Brown was the only one to enter, the best he could possibly hope for was fourth place. Nobody loves me in this town. Here we go. Um, yeah, so that was, uh, of course, the unmistakable endless baritone of Lee Hazelwood with Ugly Brown uh, from his. It's considered his debut album uh, called Trouble is a Lonesome Town. Um, it's a sort of concept album as well that details different characters and life in a sort of metaphorical but also kind of um real town called Trouble. Um it's one of my favorite albums just to stick on and listen to because as I said it's half spoken word, half music, um, and it is that very much kind of saccharine uh cowboy style um that song in particular, Ugly Brown, it was so difficult to choose one song from this <laughs> album because um, the stories throughout are just, they're so funny um, and his way of uh, retelling them is just hilarious. But I thought that the poor story of uh, Emery Zikafus Brown uh, deserved to be re reimagined as a uh, legend as a top five at yeah. the best of something yeah it's a heartbreaker so, yeah um i it's do so not know sad. this whatsoever um i'm ashamed oh. to say lee, lee hazelwood uh, i'm of course aware of and some of his bigger works but mm. like i kind of stopped at nancy and lee which is just like total yeah. beginners lp it's like the one you yeah. esen- essential you have to check out so like yeah. unmistakable though like i knew the voice and i was like why have i never heard this is, it, are, are you a massive fan? Like, should I? Should we all be diving into the entire back yeah, catalog? Like, he's absolutely incredible. Um, so I first heard of Lee uh, Hazelwood. My brother used to make. He still does make them, but makes them as playlists now. He would make like mixed CDs. Um, and the first time I heard Lee Hazelwood was when I was sixteen on one of those compilations, and it was of um. A song from that album called Look at That Woman, which when you listen to it now, doesn't really age too well. Um, But uh, that's how I got into it and then got into the Nancy and Lee album. And then there's also a second Nancy and Lee album from 1972 that's lesser kind of known and talked about, but it's like equally brilliant um his career is absolutely fascinating um if you don't know anything about him at all just like a kind of brief overview is like he um initially studied to be um a doctor and then got drafted into the korean war and when he left or when he got home he worked as a dj 
for like a local radio station in Phoenix. And while he was right, uh, working there as a DJ, he was also writing songs because he kind of then got to figure out the mold and what you needed to write a hit song. Right. So he kind of became proficient in songwriting that way. And then Frank Sinatra came to him and was just like, here, uh, I really want you to write something for my daughter because I want her to be a star, basically. And that's when, like, those boots are made for walking came came about. And she described Lee Hazelwood as somewhere between part Henry Higgins, uh, part Sigmund Freud. Um <laughs> Terrifying. Just such as the kind of closeness. Yeah, really <laughs> scary. Um, but Dean Martin had a similar thing where he also came to him and uh, wanted him to write music for his daughter, Deanna. Uh, I don't think to the same kind of success. But yeah, no, he's just... I think he's an amazing songwriter. Um, as I said, I would often stick this album in particular um, on just to listen to it because... The stories are just so rogue. Um, they're really country drenched uh, ballads, and they're just great. They're great crack, and his vo- voice is undeniable. Nice. I'm going to check it out. I will report back. Um, my next one Please is do. is probably um most recognisable to people with an actual melody. Um, now, which is disappointing to me slightly. Um, when it was covered by the Arctic Monkeys. Um, completely unnecessary. I think here it is. He's been mentioned already. Oh. Okay, that was John Cooper Clark. Would I want to be yours? Um, and he kind of maybe represents a whole strand of front person here, um, vocalist, musical poet, maybe. Um, spoiler alert: like Patty Smith just split my vote t- totally, which always happens. And Dave doesn't quite understand what that means. But like, it could have been Piss Factory, or it could have been like her doing like a smells like uh, Teen Spirit cover and just going off into wild uh, apocalyptic verse. I picked John Cooper Clark because this is really the only song of his that um, I really listen to and really like. like he's, done, <laughs> he's, a, he's a good poet from Salford and people love him and he's an old punk and stuff. And yeah, he's clearly accomplished. But this really struck a chord with me kind of years ago. Um, I think it's great. It clearly did with Alex Turner as well. They recorded their own version on the album AM. It was on at the end. And that version doesn't really work for me whatsoever. Like... Clearly, I think they're mates with John Cooper Clark and it clearly meant like a paycheck for him and I'm sure he was absolutely delighted so good that they did it. But like Alex Turner adds this lounge lizard melody to it <laughs> like with his kind of, you know, baritone thing and it feels kind of like a sleazy come on which is definitely not here. Like here it's just so simple, kind of so naive and sweet and I love the kind of meagre means he uses to kind of express his love uh, but there's also kind of enormous longing in it as well and I think actually the backing to it is musically kind of brilliant, like there's an excellent canvas for him just to kind of do his very kind of unmistakable um, spoken word thing over it. It was Martin Hannish, the producer, who kind of put that all together um, on the album Zip Style Method, I think it was 82. It's one of the last kind of 
things Martin Hannett did. He's like famous for um, producing Joy Division a magazine, um, a kind of troubled character himself, but just really distinctive and like, you know, those sparse kind of like cavernous sounds which you can hear here. And I think that takes it away from being something that might sound a little like slam poetry with a different kind of dressing up. Uh, just works really well. <laughs> yeah, I actually exactly the same as you with Lee Hazelwood uh, John Cooper Clark is not someone that I've listened to idiot at all um, so I have not heard that song before so thank you Craig that, um, check it out that was a nice introduction you're, you're welcome um, <laughs> <laughs> and now you can return the favour with your number four <laughs> um, okay so Craig pop quiz time oh Jesus do you know <laughs> Oh, with Dave being off, like I could avoid <laughs> the constant. No, I have to bring the quiz. All right, let's do it. In Dave's, in Dave's honor, you have to bring the quiz. Um, okay. Can you think of an artist who has released over sixty albums from the nineteen sixties and then well into posthumous period of their kind of existence? Yeah, and they only managed to have one top 40 single oh, I was going Elvis all the way until that last detail one <laughs> top 40 single oh. out of 60 albums plus um hold on is it William Shatner no no <laughs> it is <laughs> it was a go on. Adam put the boy out of his misery <laughs> and Cena's like so bitchin there's like the Galleria So that was uh, Moon Zappa um, collaborating with her dad, Frank Zappa. So if you ever actually have a father-daughter top five, that could be a, a shoe-in for number one. Um, that was Valley Girl from uh, Frank Zappa's Ship Arriving Too Late to, to Save a Drowning Witch 1982 album. Um, the whole kind of uh, concept and origins of this song, I just, I thought we're, kind of sweet but also slightly sad in that like um they had so Zappa and his band had the guitar riff for about a year um from just like jamming during a sound check but they had nowhere to put it really and also Moon Zappa who was 14 at the time when she recorded that she really wanted to work with her dad um I guess as a way to spend time with him right. which is kind of sad to think that like you know your own daughter has to try and like get you in the studio to have some quality time with them but when you're someone like Frank, Frank Zappa just absolutely you know whipping the albums out that <laughs> yeah. is one way that you'll get to do that um so yeah so as you hear there like she is she's whipping through like um you know going down to um the valley and she's getting her toes done she's getting some bitching clothes and it's all like really funny um that all came about when moon would come home from uh one of the details actually when i was researching this that i just found gas was 
they were like, oh, when she would come home from bar mitzvahs, specifically bar mitzvahs, um, she would recreate um, conversations that she was hearing her peers have and she would improv them to like her dad and his mates and they were like, that's kind of gas. So there was one night at, at about three in the morning and Frank Zappa just went into her bedroom, woke her up and took her down to the studio and was like, okay, that Valley girl accent that you do I want you to do a whole song of it and just improvise um and yeah it became Frank Zappa's sole top 40 song amazing um it's it's absolutely hilarious but I think he was quite like ticked off about it because I think at the time he didn't want to be just pegged as like a novelty artist obviously he had Don't Eat um Yellow the Yellow Snow as well (laughs) Valley Girl kind of didn't really you know, do him any favours in that front. But uh, he was always very um, forthcoming on how much he hated uh, the San Fernando Valley. He thought it was really depressing. He said it represents a number of very evil things. Um, But one of the things that I found really bizarre about this song um, and things to kind of be born from it was that uh, he hired a guy to get like merchandising deals for him based on the song and the lyrics and the character that Moon plays in it. So he uh, licensed a clothing uh, and cosmetic line and dolls using the Valley Girl imprint and he had an official Valley Girl colouring book. Craig, could you imagine how incredible that colouring book would be. Like. Oh my God, yeah. It's got to be on eBay. Like, uh, uh, It has to be. And like for worth mega or books. Like, um, that's a, that's a, like then, a, imagine doing that, but also being ticked off that it becomes a hit song. Like that's a lot of effort, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like he didn't perform it live. He rarely talked about it in interviews as well. Um, but he also was saying that he wanted to work on a screenplay for that was based on the song. <laughs> but that got like swiped out of his hands. And a film was actually made uh, called Valley Girl, but um, Zappa had nothing to do with it. And it starred a young and up and coming Nicolas Cage. Oh, no way. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen I'm that? Like, I- no, I'm going to watch it this weekend for sure. Um, but there was one really funny anecdote as well about it. Um, so shortly after it came out in 1982, there was a, a Philadelphia radio DJ called Terry Motormouth Young who um, played the song 10 times consecutively with no break in between. And the station manager burst into the room and just fired him basically on the spot. So Well deserved. Um, yeah, I'm not yeah. really into Frank Zappa. I do love um, watermelon in Easter hay. I got into that like in a big way recently. And <laughs> I, I nearly, I was like thinking, will I get into Frank Zappa now? So I, I nearly would have got that trivia right if I had decided to. But I thought, listen, Steely Dan and like then trying to maybe get into the Grateful Dead. I can't go full Frank Zappa as well in the same fucking two years. Do you know what I mean? It, so It is a bit boomer like. Yeah, it really is. So for another time, um, that'll be my midlife crisis uh, okay speaking of midlife crisis um <laughs> let's get funky it's about time i got funky sorry here's my number three <laughs>
Talking Heads, once in a lifetime. And yeah, like 80s icons doing like sermon style, spoken word, vamping. Um, Let's Go Crazy could have been there. I, I don't think I can have Prince on every list. Um, so I went for another kind of huge cultural moment and it's like a square David Byrne uh, in a suit. Yeah. Empathising with your like existential crisis just before, I think it was 1980, 1981, just before the dawning of Reagan's America, um, which is great. It's obviously off Remain in Light and Byrne was like struggling with writer's block, but he came up with some great lines. And I was like... I was just reading a bit about how he came up with this and he like disagreed with people saying, oh, this was quite prescient, you know, like the excesses of the 80s and all that kind of stuff. And he said, it's like the lyrics and the spoken word here is just about how we're actually largely like unconscious and we're we're operating like we're half awake and on autopilot. And then sometimes we just realize like we have a house and a family and a job and haven't really stopped to ask how, you know, how did I get here? Which really chimed with me this week as I kind of go, like, how did I end up in the bathroom looking for my phone as lockdown becomes a thing where, like, my short-term memory doesn't function anymore? So, like, this really spoke to me. Wait, why um, was your phone in the bathroom in the first place, Craig? It wasn't. That's the whole point. I was like, how did oh, I end sorry, up in the bathroom? Sorry. It was in my okay. coat pocket downstairs. Like, it's a hole to do. It's talking heads. Oh, I kind of just picked this because I saw you finished Remain in Love, uh, the Chris Franz book, oh, and I wanted to ask you about it. Um, how was it? Is oh, it worth God. reading? Because I haven't got to it yet. And he seems like a bit of a bitter dude. Doesn't like David Byrne all that much. Tells oh, about I hate him. Okay. He really hates him. Um, I, yeah, so I finished it over the weekend. And to say that it was a chore to read is not an understatement. Um, he's just extremely bitter. Uh, he's also the horniest toad I've ever come across in my life like he cannot he literally cannot mention a woman without commenting on how hot he thought she was whether or not she was like someone that he wanted to fuck or whatever or like if it's Tina he's always like oh he's been with Tina Weymouth since they were like in college together right and still a very happy couple yeah they've been married for like yeah so they've been married for like 42 years but uh yeah, um, the the main portion of the book as well, it's really disappointing. Like, he just talks about, say, like, his RISD days. Um, he really kind of uh, has rose-tinted kind of glasses on those days in his life. And then the talking head stuff is basically just their tour around Europe and the UK with the Ramones. Like, it's extremely Ramone-heavy. Um I was really then interested and looking forward to get into say like the the stop making sense kind of portion yeah, of the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Craig, three pages, and that's it. <laughs> Never mentioned again. Three pages. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. So um, it's kind of like the Morrissey book where it's just like you get a bit of the Smiths and then it's like court cases for about you know hundred yeah, pages. Yeah, you can't. You read. Yeah, you really get the bare minimum, and it's also just really badly written. He's not yeah. a very good writer at all. Um, but like, it was a good read in that, like, just to see like what a, a bitter person he is. Like, that was kind of a bit of crack every now and again. But you, it was very eye roll inducing. Okay, so not worth it. Okay, I'm I'm glad I asked. Uh, Save me some yeah. time. Do you want to go for your next selection? Yeah. Okay. So Craig. Um, how do you call your lover boy? Um, come here, lover boy. <laughs> you wouldn't do it, perhaps, like how Mickey and Sylvia would do it. <laughs> yes, Mickey. 
how you call your lover boy? Come here, lover boy. And if he doesn't answer? Oh, lover boy. And if he still doesn't answer? I simply say, So cursed introducing my top five songs. It's <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, that, of course, was Mickey and Sylvia. Love is strange. Uh, listeners will probably know it best um, from the iconic scene in Dirty Dancing when Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze are crawling, uh, thrusting on the floor towards each other and miming it together. Um, Craig, do you know much about Mickey and Sylvia as an act? Funny you should mention that. Um, Adam, can you play my number two? Sylvia! Yes, Mickey? How you call your lover boy? Come here, lover boy! And if he doesn't answer? Oh, lover boy! And if he still doesn't answer? I simply say... So tell us, Sarah, it's my number two as well. I've <laughs> been doing a bit of reading. I did not know that much, but this is tremendous. A great shout from both yeah. of us. And yeah, <laughs> give us some background. Uh, well, first off, high five, hun. That's know, unreal. Right? And especially so how it uh, lined up. And Adam, excellent work there as well. You little legend. <laughs> um, yeah, so I... I really liked this song um, for a long time, but actually when I started to research the song, I realised that I knew nothing about the figures of Mickey and Sylvia. Um, So they started recording together in 1954. Uh, Mickey Baker was inspired by the success of husband and wife musical geo Les Paul and Mary Ford. And he then wanted to form a kind of similar uh, duo And he did so with one of his pupils because he was a music instructor. So Sylvia Robinson then became his Mary Ford, if you will. Um, They were on uh, various uh, labels. Uh, They had like great success with them. But then, and I was actually really impressed with this. They had the kind of foresight to establish their own label, Willow Records. Um, And then they were sharing a bill with Bo Diddley, in Washington and they heard that Bo Diddley playing Love is Strange and then with his blessing they recorded their own version but then there was also some kind of uh, scandooch in that in that like <laughs> Sylvia uh, claims that she and Mickey wrote the lyrics oh. but it was actually Bo who uh, who wrote the lyrics but then did it under his then wife's name uh, Ethel Smith which I thought was an interesting move Um. Yeah, obviously in a tremendous song and I think my favourite, favourite part about the story of Mickey and Sylvia is uh, that Sylvia started Sugar Hill Records and put together the Sugar Hill Gang and then therefore Amazing. gave us Rapper's Delight. What a pair. Yeah, I love this. Um, it's, it's in loads of stuff. Obviously Dirty Dancing. I think it's in Casino. I always think of an early episode of The Wire where McNulty is like finishing a nagging or maybe a shoulder in his in his cop car and like I think he spots a crime yeah. in the distance and like falls on his arse in the rain and this is just playing like Sylvia <laughs> like so good um, it's tremendous it's kind of like it could be like hokey kind of excellence but I love 
their delivery. It's so great. It feels like one yeah. of those like early like um screwball rom-coms where it's like you know my girl Tuesday or what no his girl Friday or one of those Cary Grant things but like in 30 seconds just that exchange and then like the nonchalance of them being like you know back into the sick licks that we're laying down it's so cool <laughs> I just love it so much I'm really glad you picked it and it's great uh-huh. and they they re-recorded apparently in the 60s and uh, it featured mm. Bernard pretty purdy on drums which was his first paid session gig and that's just a tidbit for the steely don fans out there oh my god tremendous drummer all right do you want to do your number two seeing as we've just done mine cool okay so my silver medal this week is a song uh that i first heard when i was 15 um and almost half my lifetime after that because I'm nearly 30, it still has the same kind of impact. And uh, with a guest vocal appearance from Lee Ronaldo yeah. and Sonic Youth. Um, that was just, I think, when you said to me initially about doing spoken word, this song was the first one that came into my mind. Um, yeah, as I said, I remember so vividly when this came out when I was 15. Um, such a formative time in, you know, finding my musical tastes. Um, and this album, uh, Men's Needs, Women's Needs, whatever. It just left such an impression on me. I really loved how they were kind of the outliers of that scene as well. Um, yeah. I always found this song in particular, which one thing that really annoys me, I actually went back to listening to that album last night. I hadn't done it in, in a long time. It really annoys me that uh, Be Safe is not the closing track. Um, oh, I think that that would just be such really well. a marvellous yeah it would have been so good um i i know you're a fan of this song as right well i know you're a fan of the cribs this was um, in my shortlist for sure yeah it didn't quite make yeah it. i was kind of worried that this would have the crossover i would never have expected it to come <laughs> mickey and so, sylvia yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tremendous so good um but i when i was researching this um uh i saw that the cribs and leonardo uh kind of hooked up again through Zoom to perform the song live. Did you watch that by any chance, Craig? No, I haven't seen it. I'm going to check it out. It's, yeah, it's really, it's, um, it's good. Like, it's not the best kind of live performance. Obviously, well, it's maybe very I won't check it out. <laughs> no, it is good. Do check it out. Um, but like, they're in four different locations. So it's kind of, you can see how it's, it, those kind of things are difficult to sync up, but it's just, it's really cute from the perspective that uh, the drummer, Ross Jarman, his little son, who's about like seven or eight, is playing like a mini drum kit beside him and like kind of keeping time and has really good shapes, really nice. Um, but yeah, I just think that this song is 
it's so impactful it's so affecting even though Ronaldo is just kind of stream of consciousness style you know picking out like various different images throughout the song and various kind of ills of the modern world throughout it yeah I think it's just one of those songs that like even though it's 15 years old now it still remains so kind of pertinent and I can imagine if my niece who's like okay maybe not if she's 12 now maybe when she's like 14 or 15 I could imagine it would still have a similar kind of resonating kind of factor with someone of that kind of period in their life um yeah and I just think it's such a cool collaboration very unexpected and just worked so well good lads and just represent all the right stuff and I've betrayed myself because I could have picked this as my number one and been all like DIY and uh, counterculture and I went for something from the 80s that is kind of slick and it's just a rich rock star um, (laughs) musing over some (laughs) tasteful 80s production but um, yeah this is my number one because it's just so ruddy bloody evocative followed the sound of a jukebox coming from up the levee All of a sudden I could hear somebody whistling from right behind me I turned around and she said Why do you always end up down at Nick's Cafe? I said uh, I don't know The wind just kind of pushed me this way She said hang the rich so craig oh man so craig um yeah if it wasn't about a river it could almost be yacht rock i don't know if you can have a yacht on a river maybe you can it's robbie robertson it's somewhere down the crazy river and yeah like i could i I was nearly gonna go for maybe eels susan's house or something one of those i like those kind of journeying tracks where it's spoken word but this kind of like the whiskey and cigar voice i love his intonation i'm not really a big like fan of the band like i like some of their stuff but i wouldn't put them on as much as I listened to this song. It was Robbie Robertson's first uh, solo album. It was like 1987. Uh, He was working with like Daniel Lanois and Brian Eno was knocking about and... um the song is basically yeah yeah. (laughs) Lanois was talking about it he's like Robbie was basically just describing hanging out in like Arkansas or Arkansas as Lana Del Rey would say with Levon Helm and just like talking about um, hot nights and fishing with dynamite (laughs) I'm just like okay Grant and like asking someone for directions for some place somewhere down the crazy river but Daniel Lanois says he presented Robbie Robertson in the studio with um, this thing Brian Eno introduced him to which was the Suzuki Omnicord it's like an electric auto harp and they were messing around with this and as they were messing around with it Robbie Robertson just started like doing these words over it like in the booth oh my god and it's like it reminds me of like what Bonnie Vare has been trying to do on his last two albums but it's like steamier and kind of filtered through like Hemingway or something kind of grizzled and yeah it's just it's really great it's a really kind of luxurious cool evocative listen and yeah it's one of the sleaziest sounding songs I've heard in a long <laughs> yeah, time yeah it's but so sleazy. wistful wistful right it's, it's definitely as well very like swampy like I've, yeah. I've also just you kind of feel done a, re- a rewatch <laughs> yeah definitely like it's sweaty like I've just done a rewatch of season one of True Detective and I can imagine oh yeah 
Rust. Like, I can imagine Rust and Marty, like, venturing into, like, a bar as one of their kind of, like, missions that they have to do to, like, solve the murder or whatever. And, like, Robbie Robertson is just there on the stage singing this song in the background. Like, it's just, it's so good. It's just the right amount of 80s cheese and I love it. Yeah, like, I think um, he I think he just finished doing the soundtrack to The Colour of Money, which is perfect. <laughs> like, so. Oh, my God. Yeah. So good. So good. Uh, I had never heard that song before so Craig again thank you so much for broadening my horizons um okay will we wrap this thing up and yeah I'm excited let's do it do you do you want to hear a song that traumatized me emotionally again as a 15 year old girl yeah let's do it if it's gonna be okay, okay it's not gonna bring up old pain notes I think this song will like perpetually traumatize me emotionally. Okay, let's so. do it. Let's let's power let's, through. Let's We're go all here for it. For you. Let's go to that place. You know something funny. I forgot that boy right away. Instead, I remember being tucked in bed and hearing my mama say, "Hush, little baby, don't you cry, mama." Of course, was uh, I Can Never Go Home Anymore by the Shangri-Las, a group that I became absolutely obsessed with when I was about 16. And uh, yeah, I had a massive uh, 60s girl group phase and the Shangri-Las were kind of the leading light in it. Um, Obviously, the songs just steered by teen tragedies and melodramas uh, at the time I found them really entertaining kind of almost like these radio novella kind of teleplays um I just found them a really fascinating uh song kind of structure I when I at that time I'd never heard anything like that before and I remember hearing this song for the first time and just being absolutely just like guilt addled for um for the character in that song um kind of betraying and kind of going against that mother daughter relationship for a stupid boy um <laughs> obviously the Shangri-Las they were kind of big between like 1964 and 1966 uh hugely influential on bands like the New York Dolls uh the Jesus Mary Chain uh Blondie and obviously Amy Winehouse um when I was going through this song in particular, um, I couldn't help but notice like the influence that this song in particular had on, say, like Back to Black for her. Um, there's not really a whole lot of lore about the Shangri-Las online. Okay. They're kind of flame kind of burned bright and then it kind of burned quick. Um, a lot of the members, so the members were um, Mary Weiss, uh, Betty Weiss, who were sisters. And then there was identical twins, Margie Ganser and Marianne Ganser. And they just kind of played at school shows, talent shows, and they garnered the attention of like a kind of local record label. Um, 
um, they performed without a name. They got their name from like a local restaurant in Queens. But what kind of set them apart from, say, like, you know, the Ronettes or the Shirelles or even like Diana Ross and the Supremes is that because they were from Queens and people associated Queens with being like quite rough and, um, a quite a rough neighborhood in New York. The Shangri-Las immediately had this like tough girl kind of label yeah. attached to them. Um, and there's loads of different kind of, you know, uh, rumors surrounding them. Like there was one that Mary ap- apparently attracted the FBI because she had uh, a firearm across, you know, state lines. And she just said, yeah, of course I had a pistol in my hotel room to like protect myself against people, which is kind of grim in itself to think about. Um, They're all yeah. basically minors when they're in the band. They're all under 18. Um, When they were recording this song as well, uh, Mary was saying how uh, she had not been speaking to her mother for a few years at that point and when she was in the studio recording the song she was absolutely in bits crying so yeah I just I think the Shangri-Las again if they're a band that you haven't really gotten into they're phenomenal they're so great um, and yeah they're kind of one of those enduring acts that always kind of seem to fit a mood no matter what mood you're in interesting i'm glad they kind of popped up because i was thinking like leader of the pack just feels like the proto version of this whole little genre that we're talking about so great to give them a shout out um and also you know a nice kind of like coming full circle with the tone considering the show started with like dead wasps and um you know (laughs) despairing jedward we've gone right back to the trauma to come full circle sorry it's been quite the ride um thank you for joining me thank you for joining adam thank you for having me commiserations to phil daniels and park life uh just didn't make the cut (laughs) (laughs) i also thought we might feature some point uh britney getting that uh ring that was thrown to the bottom of the ocean there was some great 90s cheese but alas um no we went pretty respectable on this one um so i really enjoyed it sarah appreciate it it was great having you on thank you This episode of No Encore was engineered by the handsome Sonic Architect, the Choice Music Prize nominated Sonic Architect, that is Adam Shanahan. Dude, we love you. (laughs) Good to have you back. The best. As for you, listener, um, thanks for listening and thanks for contributing to our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash no encore because you haven't actually gone there yet, have you? No worries. You don't have to. <laughs> I'm just glad you stuck with us. The neck. Take care of yourselves. Don't give us any money if you don't want to. Um, just really, really appreciate you ch- tuning in. Uh, we'll be back next week. Dave will be back next week. And I'm Craig Fitzpatrick. This is No Encore. Peace. Before you go, there's something I want you to have. Oh, it's beautiful. But wait a minute, isn't this? Yeah, yes it is. But I thought the old lady dropped it into the ocean in the end. Well, baby, I went down and got it for you. Oh, you shouldn't have. Oops, I... This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Head Stuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. 
There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.